Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 16th of October 2022, 11 o'clock service. Stephen Kurt speaking on Getting the Most Out of Giving. So, an oxymoron. What is the definition of an oxymoron? Well, here it is coming up on the screen. An oxymoron, a figure of speech in which apparently contradictory terms appear in conjunction. That's the definition, but it's much easier to understand things when we see examples, isn't it? So here come a few examples of oxymorons. He considered it to be an accurate estimate. Apparently that is an oxymoron. Here's another one. They were alone together. And another one. She was awfully good at this. And another. They followed at a close distance. And finally, in time, their love grew smaller. Now, all of those apparently are examples of an oxymoron, seemingly contradictory words that are put together in order to describe something more vividly. And the title of our talk this morning could be described as another oxymoron, couldn't it? Because it's called this. It's called getting the most out of giving. And just to be clear, we're thinking this morning about financial giving to the church. We've been having a series of talks for several weeks now called Getting the Most Out of Church, haven't we? And much of it has been focused on getting the most out of the things on offer to us here at church. So we've thought about getting the most out of worship, the sermons, and the community. But getting the most out of giving, that can appear to make much less sense, can't it? If the talk was entitled Engaging with the Need for Giving, perhaps. Or if the talk had the title Considering the Sacrifice of Giving, maybe that would be okay. But getting the most out of giving? Surely that's stretching the concept of an oxymoron beyond its breaking point. Well, maybe. Unless, that is, we believe in what I was speaking about last week, which is the utterly topsy-turvy nature of the kingdom of God. If you were here last week, you'll remember me suggesting that Mr. Topsy-Turvy is really the most Christian of the Mr. Men because of the way that he turns everything upside down, back to front, or the wrong way round. And this was the passage, or one of them, that I referred to last week. That passage where Jesus proclaims this paradoxical, topsy-turvy, oxymoronic truth that it's when we give our lives away for Jesus and the good news of his coming that we receive back those lives. And that by the same token, it's when we try and cling on to our lives and not really allow them to be at all about giving that we end up losing them. Now, it's clear that that challenge that we received last week created a good deal of traction because the responses that a number of you made to this slip of paper, which we asked you to uh, fill in during the talk about how can I serve, the responses were, by and large, really encouraging. Lots of you responded, both at this service and the earlier 9.30 service, to this exciting and fairly scary challenge to step out in faith. 
and to see whether this topsy-turvy truth about the kingdom of God is actually true. And we'll be coming back in response to you on what you filled in fairly soon. And if you weren't here for whatever reason last week, and so you didn't get the chance to fill in one of those forms, they're still around, there's a table out in the lounge, and uh, if you want, you can uh, fill in that form and hand it in, and we'll come back to you about the areas where you want to consider continuing to serve maybe at Christchurch or starting to serve in other areas. And it might be that you filled it in last week and you think, well, I was a bit cautious. There were things, my, my biro hovered over that box and I nearly ticked it, but then I didn't. And I, I wish I could have that moment again. Well, you can. You can have that moment again. You can fill in the form if you wish and we'll scrap the old one. Uh, it would be better than doing the other way around, you know, retracting what you said last week and saying, actually, I don't want to serve in whatever areas. But of course, that's totally up to you. I do have to say as well that about a third of the biros were nicked last week. So if you stole a biro last week, we'll have an amnesty and you can bring them back uh, with no recriminations at all. But it's rather a different thing be talking about money, isn't it? You might think to yourself, it's fair enough for the vicar to speak about service last week and to talk about this rather strange idea of receiving back our lives when we do this. Manipulative, perhaps, but fair enough. But financial giving? That's surely a completely different matter. What with the cost of living crisis and all of the pressure and the uncertainty around at the moment, Surely it's completely irresponsible to suggest that these very same principles about giving our lives away and then receiving life back, surely it's completely irresponsible to suggest that those same principles apply to what we do with our money. And yet that is precisely what the Bible does. And when you think about it, it will be completely nonsensical if the Bible said that a major exception to the blessings that come our way when we learn to give our lives away for Jesus and the gospel is what we do with our wallets and our bank accounts. These things are very much included. And it's why any sermon series on getting the most out of church has to include this talk that we're having this morning. And the basis of what I'm going to say and the points that I'm going to draw out come from Paul's uh, second letter to the Corinthians and chapters 8 and 9, those chapters that were read to us by Elizabeth and Steve earlier. Now, Paul, by the time he wrote 2 Corinthians, had a pretty dicey relationship with the church at Corinth. A lot of them had started to get really fed up with him and to prefer other Christian leaders. And in other parts of his letter, Paul has to respond to this and show the Corinthians that his ministry amongst them had been authentic. But even though he's got that battle on his hands, he still finds time to have these two chapters in the middle of this letter all about giving. You might think that Paul, in such a vulnerable position, with so much challenge that he's facing, would give it a miss, talking to the Corinthians about their financial giving. But it's too important to avoid. It's too important to have taken that route. And what we see in these chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, is Paul setting out certain things, making certain things clear about financial giving, both for the original hearers of this letter, because it was probably read to them, but also for us. And there are four things, at least, that Paul says in this letter about giving that I want to draw out this morning. And the first of them is this. Giving is all 
about grace. One of the many remarkable things about 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is that Paul manages to write two whole chapters all about giving money without once mentioning the word money. And that's partly because he wants to emphasize the proper spirit behind the giving of money to the church. So Paul speaks of this in one place in these chapters as an act of grace. And in another part of the letter, he refers to the grace of giving. When he is speaking to the sophisticated southern Corinthians about the giving of their poor, rather rough northern neighbours, the Macedonians, he speaks of the Macedonians' rich generosity. And most famously of all, he says this in chapter 9, verses 7 to 8. Paul says this, Each person should give what he, she has decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. And the point, the overall point, is very clear, isn't it? Financial giving to the church isn't primarily about duty or the practical need to pay for things. It's about something that God plants within us called grace. Grace is when you don't have to help someone, but you do it anyway. Grace is when you don't have to forgive someone for something horrible that they've done to you, but you do it anyway. Grace is when you don't have to give any money to your church because that church will still carry on supporting you, whether you give or not, but you do it anyway. Grace is something that's entirely freely given. Without the desire or the plan to get anything back from that, and it's that very spirit of generosity which gives grace its liberating kingdom power. Gives it its power both for those receiving that grace, but also for those showing it. And that's because of a second point, which is this. Giving is all about worship. Worship is our response to God for what he's done for us in Jesus Christ, isn't it? That's why the songs and the liturgy that we use in services contain the words they do. And the principal thing that we're thanking God for in our worship is the grace that he has shown to us. So here is another verse from these passages. For you know, Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Giving on our part, when it's genuine Christian giving, is about grace. We've already seen that. But given that the supreme act of grace that surpassed all others was God sending Jesus to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven and restored as God's people, anything that we give is even more an acknowledgement of God's grace, isn't it? Anything we give is an act of loving response to God's grace. In fact, it's an accurate index of that love. But where the two join up is that when we worship the God of grace, 
that grace that belongs to God that we're recipients of, that grace of God starts being transferred to us so that we, as Christ's followers, can become vehicles of its ongoing power. And that's where a third point that Paul makes in these chapters comes in, which is this. Giving is about community. The purpose of us being restored and forgiven through Jesus isn't fairly obviously so that we can have a relationship with God by ourselves, a purely individual relationship. It's so that we can be a community in relationship with God, isn't it? A community in relationship with God and in relationship, genuine relationship with one another. A community for anyone and everyone where the quality and the genuine nature of these relationships shows people outside of the church as well as people inside it what God is like and as a result draws more people towards him. That's what the church is meant to be like. And the present evangelistic strategy that we have here at Christchurch is based on precisely this. It's why welcoming before our services and refreshments afterwards are both intrinsic to what we're seeking to build at Christchurch. It's the basis of our shush-free approach at our 9.30 service. It's the basis of our great fine lunch that I spoke about last week, our three cinema clubs, our expanding widows group, Half Shares, which now has two meetings a month and also tends to attract people to lots of other things we're doing as well. Men Behaving Dadly, Bumps and Babies, our toddlers group. They're all, and there are other groups as well, about trying to build community in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Jesus Christ that came for everyone, and they're all intended to be a vehicle of God's grace. And members of the church giving our money is all part of our commitment to building this Christ-like community. When Paul praises the Macedonian Christians for their generosity, it's significant the words that he uses. So he says this, they gave themselves first to the Lord, that was the top priority, obviously, and then to us in keeping with God's will. And Paul makes it clear as well that financial giving is all part of the way that a church community is intended to become more equal with those who can afford to give more, doing so, so that the needs of those with less continue to be met. There's a real equality intended as an outcome of our giving. So here are some words Paul says. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it's written. He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. And of course, the relevance of this commitment to community goes beyond Christchurch. It goes beyond simply the local church. One of the things about being part of the Church of England is that we belong to a diocese, and we support other churches which could, wouldn't be able to keep going without the money given by wealthier churches like ours. And whatever some of us might think about the way our diocese is currently run, that is a calling and a responsibility from God that never goes away. Because we need churches in the poorer areas. 
We need churches above every other place in the poorer areas showing that community can be built for everyone in the name of the Jesus Christ whom God sent for everyone. We need churches in those poorer areas sharing God's transforming love with those who desperately need to receive this. So giving is about community. And lastly, and this is important to include, giving is about practicalities. It's important to recognise in these chapters that Paul isn't simply pushing out theological principles. He includes very practical details about Christian giving as well. Paul knows, as every Christian leader has known ever since, that members of churches can all too easily hear a challenge and intend to respond to it, be really quite motivated to respond to it, but then never really get round to actually doing so. And so Paul says this to the Corinthians, and they're words which are really important. He says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. And of course, that last bit about giving a realistic amount is really important. And it's extended in the next verse as Paul says this. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. The other really important practical point Paul makes in these chapters is about the administration of what people give being completely above board. That's why he spends so much time commending Titus in this passage. Titus was the one who received the Corinthians giving. And Paul says this, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we're taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. Administration of money in church life always has to be above board. And what's more, it always has to be seen to be above board. And that's why the integrity of our equivalents of Titus here at Christchurch, Chaweevan Williams, our brilliant treasurer, and Anna Larkin, our finance and communications officer, has to be and is impeccable. And of course, what this is all building up to this morning is a challenge to us. A challenge to every single one of us, if we consider ourselves to be a regular and committed member of this church, to review our financial giving to Christchurch and its work. Now, I've got to be honest at this point, there is an inevitable tension between the missional, the evangelistic strategy of Christchurch that I spoke about earlier and our finance. Because what we want more than anything else is for people to feel welcome to this church. We want everyone to feel welcome to this church with no strings attached. For people to receive a really warm welcome, whether they're young or old, rich or poor, posh or down to earth, black or white, Korean, Hong Konger or Brit, we want them all, and I apologise for any groups I've left out, we want everyone to feel utterly loved by God. But on the other hand, we need the money to be able to, uh, to continue doing this, don't we? There is an inevitable tension between these two things. Being a church that tries to pull down the boundaries and the barriers that will stop anyone coming and experiencing God's love, but also saying, but we do need money 
to keep doing this. There's an inevitable tension between those two things. But it is not an unresolvable tension if we believe in the reality of the grace that I was speaking about earlier and if we believe in its power. If we believe that once people encounter God's grace, God's powerful love in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness and the freedom that this brings, it changes us into wanting to become a vessel of that grace. It changes us into wanting to be someone who's committed to passing on that grace, displaying that grace of God ourselves so that more and more people can experience it. It changes us into being committed to doing this not only with our service to God, vital though that is, but also with our wallet, our purse or our bank account. And that's why, rather like last week, there's a chance for you to respond to this challenge this morning. You should have been given a couple of bits of paper this morning. I think that's right, isn't it, David? Did you get round? And one of them looks like this, and that's a bit of paper for you to take away with you, and it explains the best ways that you can give financially to the work of Christchurch. You'll continue doing that. That will be true for quite a lot of people here. But the other thing that you were given this morning as well is this smaller slip of paper. And this is a bit of paper for you to potentially put your name on and your contact details, either an email or a phone number if you prefer, and say that you're happy to be contacted by Anna Larkin, our finance and communications officer, to talk in complete confidence about giving to Christchurch, either for the first time or if you already regularly give to Christchurch, about how you might go forward in relation to this. And the idea is that when the bag comes round in the final hymn, some people uh, put uh, an offering of money in there, which is great. Um, but also, if you're happy to hand this in, having filled it in with the black barrows, which would be nice to get back at the end of the service, but you know, if you really want to take one away, it's totally up to you. Uh, but it would be nice if these are filled in and put in the bag as well. Anna Larkin is very realistic about what's possible for people to give and what's not. And as I say, those conversations will be completely confidential and incidentally totally separate from me as well. But bear in mind what I said earlier about how many people it seems are challenged by a talk like this and they are stirred to respond but for one reason or another never get round to actually acting in response to it. And if you're thinking as I say those words, well, perhaps that applies to me a bit. Perhaps I've never got round to giving regularly. Or perhaps I haven't got round for a long while to reviewing my giving. Then if you're happy to fill this in, uh, what you're saying is, I'd like to have a conversation about that. You're not committing yourself to any particular level of giving, but you are committing yourself to a measure, I guess, of accountability. Just having a conversation about it, talking the issue through and seeing how you then believe God wants you to respond. Let's try to make the appropriate response this morning. Let's be resolved to respond to the grace of God. And the calling that we all have as followers of Jesus Christ to reflect back our response to God's grace in the grace, worship, and commitment to practical community that we're called to as followers of Jesus Christ. And to engage with this uh, paradoxical, 
topsy-turvy Christian oxymoron of getting the most out of giving. Let's pray. Let's have a moment or two of silence 